It's going. Okay. Uh, Chandler, Mm -hmm. are you at an appropriate distance from your microphone? No, actually, I'm sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor. Yeah, but what's the distance? A foot. About a foot. Okay. That should that should five be feet under the recommended distance. I don't know. I feel like you were a little too close in the last episode. Was I? I don't know. It's don't possible. Know. Well, I'm a little farther than usual today, so we'll okay. see how that works out. Farther is better. on the floor. Yeah. Because then it, it it was just some of your your s's were a little harsh. Gotcha. I'll just refrain from using the letter S then. <laughs> well, the letter S is not in either one of the titles of the movie. This is true. So this we're is off true. to a good start. Yes, but we won't be able to discuss the di- director of Roma if that is the case. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously you just, before we started uh, and pressed record, you asked me how I was doing. I uh, did, yes. And you said, at least I'm working. Yes, uh, it's true but i'm not anymore (laughs) you got fired today no i didn't get fired i got temporarily laid off until they reopen oh geez yeah so that's fun i Um, might be the oh no never mind you're you're up there with kib now yeah although i feel like i'm in a better position than kib kib has a lot of uncertainty going on in la that is true this is also true i will the only uncertainty i have is when this will be over Mm Hmm. And that's hopefully a month, maybe two, three. That's ho- uh, yeah. After three, that's when I start getting worried. Okay. Well, you got a little bit of time before you need to worry then. Yeah, plenty of time. Hopefully, hopefully people can get their act together and we can banish coronavirus from our borders. Yeah, come on. Just make it illegal. Yeah, come on. Just outlawed. What are the senators doing? It's so simple. I don't know why they haven't thought of it it's before. It's as simple as that. Out, outlaw in 50 states. Federal crime. Straight Penalty, to the Supreme Court. Death. Uh, there you go. We'll do the North Korean method of death keeping... by Windex. <laughs> Why Windex? Because it kills everything and cures everything if you're Greek. I'm not sure I follow, but the. Do you, you never seen my big fat Greek wedding? I have you never you seen it. You call yourself a cinephile. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should take that off my resume now. You should. Yeah, I'm ashamed. Return the film degree until you until further notice. Uh, until I've seen that movie. Until I, you've seen my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Should I see the second one? N- no, you can skip cool. it. So just the the first one. Literally just the first cool. one, I'm, and only I'm about the first right third of the first one. Yeah, go for it. Uh, all right. So uh, there's there's a few updates, and I think we might do this episode a little out of order. Um, cause okay. I texted you moments before asking you to pick a movie to watch for me that you did. So, uh, I want watch or rewatch. I could have swore the text said rewatch, rewatch or, or watch. I suppose okay. here, here's the thing. So uh, the movie for next week is John Cassavetti's opening night. <laughs> I am not looking forward to this in any way, shape or form. Not. And yeah. I thought since I picked the movie since we can't go to the theaters and watch a new movie yeah and i picked the movie this week um, okay that i picked roma what we're doing this week i felt let's give chandler a chance to uh pick something maybe maybe something that i should give a a rewatch or i don't know huh okay you can answer now if you have something or later all right give me till the end of the episode let me think on it for a little bit. okay i'll let you stew I'm already looking for stuff. Continue. So the other uh, important development in the podcast world is that the Split Take podcast and the film sync in general is uh, we are now going to have a YouTube channel. I was not aware. I didn't even know this. Yes, we are. We are putting the podcast episodes on YouTube. Oh, amongst amongst other things. I of course maybe we'll be doing other stuff. All right. Hopefully. Hopefully I'll well, find I, the time to make some video essays. Yeah. Well, I have, I mean, I mean not time to record, but time to edit now because uh, my second job is a lot slower these past few weeks. Mm. So I do find myself a little more uh, bored at work. So I'd be willing to 
contribute to this uh, outreach into new platforms. I'm good. Well, I will send you the... I uploaded a test video, and I'll send you it just so you can take a look at what we've done so far. And I will send you the first six parts of my 500-page analysis of Under the Silver and the Under the Silver Lake, so you can start uh, recording the audiobook. I, I was wondering when that was going to happen. It's it's close. We're almost Look, done with the first chapter. Chandler, mm. I will 100% record an audiobook for you if you ever finish that uh, Under the Silver Lake novel analysis honestly if it someone's got to do it that's all i'm saying yep someone has to do it well the last bit i i don't think opening night is a good time to start this but Uh what here's my proposal i think every once in a while we should at the end of a podcast Uh we should talk for a few minutes about the movies coming up the week afterwards and what our week- expectations are for them. Okay. And predictions. If that makes As sense. As in the podcast two weeks or two episodes from now? In release. Not- okay, yeah. Sure. That, that'll be fixed eventually. Uh, after this episode, when this episode goes live, we will uh-huh. be back on recording and then uploading and recording. I haven't been keeping track of the timeline as of late, so I have no idea where it's at. Our lore is all out of whack. Theoretically, for like John Cassavetti's movies, you'd be like, oh, we've seen Killing of a Chinese Bookie. What are our predictions for what is going to happen or or stylistic film stuff that's going to appear in opening night? Uh We shouldn't do that because I I could not care less. (laughs) I hope I like it. Have you you seen this? Have you seen this? I've seen the first 30 minutes and I shut it off, which is very rare for me. Oh, no. Um, I'm very excited. Let me, I need to state this for the record to be completely clear. Uh I always want, I always go in wanting to like something. I'm not actively wanting to dislike opening night or any John Cassavetes movie. Uh I just don't have any evidence to suggest that I will like it so far. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Uh, I don't know that the the killing of a Chinese bookie has really grown on me. But it's, I'd watch it again. Yeah. It is. I have positive it, feelings. He is a filmmaker that I feel like you're either you're tuned in or you're not. Because mm-hmm. the way that he's talked about in, you know, more film centric circles, you would think he was uh, an overlooked Martin, the overlooked Martin Scorsese of his day. But uh, I don't know. He's very polarizing. Yeah. Well, it. It will be another foray. This is your third Cassavetes? Uh, I think so. Okay, well, we'll we'll see if there's a pattern, if you like him more than I do or what's up. But I'm I'm curious, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's next week or next episode, right. whenever we record that. Speaking of, of new little segments or new ideas for the podcast, this week we are we are trying out the the um the double feature uh, section where every once in a while uh, one of us, one of us will recommend a movie that is specifically paired to go with the movie of the week from the BFI. Uh-huh. Uh, so this week I saw that Yee was coming up and I was like, Hey, Chandler and I both bought Roma recently. And Roma, I think is a very, interesting and similar movie for many in many ways to yee and i thought it would now, be an interesting this is pair. what i'm curious about yes so uh i thought well let's watch them together give channel and i an excuse to watch our criterions and then uh, talk about it also we didn't have a movie a second movie for this week so yeah well because there's a very limited selection yeah i will happily uh let you know that the loft has been doing uh, online streaming of new movies oh which is very cool very nice yeah well this year is going to be at the oscars it's going to be sonic the hedgehog versus portrait of a lady on fire ah that's a that's a tight competition right <laughs> that, there we're co- it's close it's close it's, it's very uh, eager to see how that turns out this is like a george bush al gore <laughs> kind of close <laughs> you know people will decide yep so uh where shall we begin roma 
Roma. Yeah, let's go for it. Because I'm curious to see how this... I'm curious as to why this connects with Yi-Yi. Interesting. So you, okay. I didn't really Let's, see that concrete of a connection. Okay. Mm, this is going to be interesting. Okay. Okay. Let's let let me say this. Since we are doing a little bit differently and we have these two very specifically paired. Mm-hmm. Feel free and I will also feel free to jump around a little bit from back and forth. Um mm-hmm. so not as strict like one and then the other, but we'll kind of keep to that format. Mhm um but roma shall you introduce it or shall i uh i'll introduce it it is a uh it is a spanish language black and white film directed and written by alfonso coron and cinematography by alfonso coron uh it tells the story of i what is her name i do not remember her name cleo yes cleo the um made for a rich family during the height of civil unrest in Mexico in the late 60s, early 70s. And it's just a nice little film about her life and how it changes with the times. And uh, yeah, it's very, it's very loose narrative. Yeah, so you have, you had seen, both of us have seen Roma before. Yes. Um, I had seen it in theaters, you had not. I did and... not. And... You had mixed feelings, but overall positive feelings. Yeah. So yeah. what was your what was your experience like going from that first viewing and now this is your second viewing uh, uh, a year or two later? Uh, I think a lot of my feelings are still kind of the same. It's just that I the, the elements that um, I liked at first, I love now. Um, my main, uh, I, I, overall, I liked it this time. I loved it. Um, my problems with it originally were that I felt as if the, um, almost the, the story itself was a little more focused on what was going on around Cleo as opposed to what is actually going on with her as a person. Um, it, you know, it's obviously very super well choreographed, um, uh, scenes uh, that kind of don't feel like they all come together. It kind of feels like when I initially saw it, it kind of felt like, you know, little intimate moment with Chloe followed by big old giant civil unrest backdrop. Um, and the first time I saw it, I saw these two different sides of the story as disconnected. Whereas this time I see it as a lot more connected this time. Hmm. Where does one begin with Roma? Roma is wow. It's it's one hell of a movie in my opinion. I think it's most certainly one of the the better things to come out in the, the last decade. And there's something about black and white that uh, just gets to me, particularly like modern black and white. Yeah, it's just oof. I love it. it I love oh. filmmakers referencing the past, and of course, mm-hmm. Roma is very much a director's trip into uh his past and his memory and as chandler is aware of and maybe the audience is aware of i am very much for that kind of cinema my favorite Mm -hmm. films include eight and a half and fanny and alexander both of which are internal explorations of a director this one however kind of twists it into a exploration of a country's past and a social political uh, a very specific moment in history of mexico yeah and i think overall one of the big draws for me is the kind of introductory and the immersiveness of the uh, of learning about mexico city and mexico in general during a time period that you know to be honest, most Americans don't even know. Jack I still don't really Mexico. know. I still don't really know, understand the uh, full workings of what's going on historically in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's protesting what and for why. Um, mm. But I get the general idea. Uh, I, I get the general gist of the conflict they're portraying here. Right. And, and the movie captures the feeling more than it does explains everything. Yes, yes. 
And that and that is something I noticed a little bit more on this time. Uh, the first time I felt alienated because I'm like, OK, I feel like I should definitely understand a little bit of what's going on here. But this time I just thought, OK, I don't need to know what's going on. I just need to know what's going on in front of me. And I felt very immersed in the world just because, um, you know, just to get to it now, I, I feel like this on every technical level is just a, a masterpiece. Visually, everything. visually, sound wise, it's the sound is amazing. In this. Wow, this is one one of the best movies, at least just from that from that technical aspect. Mm-hmm. I feel confident saying it's one of the greats of the last decade. Oh yeah, um, and I would agree with you. It's the story that could potentially be the weak point for some people. It is not for me. Yeah, I digress. Continue. Uh, well, the, the the major issue I had with the story, and this issue still persisted throughout this second viewing, is that I wasn't ever really sure what Corone thought of Cleo as a character. I felt at first she was sort of introduced as this um, almost almost divine-like figure that the movie is trying to praise, that she is perfect. Um, she's glorified in just about every way. Um, and then as the movie goes on and we start to see a little bit more of her, um, character face conflict, she becomes a lot more human and sympathetic, but still there are moments I feel of, um, that sort of divineness that was present in the first half. And I still am not entirely sure that we get a full, it's a character based movie with not a whole lot of character we see things happen to her but i feel like until the very end we don't really see how these things affect her well yeah i think i think you do see how they affect her Uh, not necessarily with everything but with some of the actions you know the the mother snaps at her a few times and her reactions her reaction to her boyfriend just leaving her, her reaction to the the baby dying. Yeah. Um, there are moments of characterization and it's, you know, she's certainly put up on a pedestal, but I wouldn't necessarily call it glorifying. I felt more of a, a tenderness, a fondness for this person. Cause it is from listening to Caron's uh, ideas and talks on the film. It is the character is very much based on his own housekeeper when he was growing up. Yeah. Um, and so the whole thing really is kind of baked in this nostalgia. Yeah. Because, you know, even though it, it you get the feeling for kind of these horrific events that are happening in Mexico. Yeah. And some of the really um, darker parts of the story, the the baby dying and all that. There is this kind of sheen to it all. None of it's ever really graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, although sometimes I guess it, I guess it is at some points the, so there's obviously the, the great shot of when they're in the, uh, De- department store, department store. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's someone gets shot in that department store. You don't see it. So, right. Yeah. There's, it, it's desensitized. It's not desensitized. It's removed. Uh-huh. Um, but then they do go down on the streets and they pass by this, this woman who's just screaming for help and holding her whoever. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a bit more kind of in your face trauma, um, I suppose. And then, you know, the, the birthing scene is powerful, but it is, it's, it's an interesting way of viewing the past because I think in general, in broad breaststrokes, you could say that Corone isn't, isn't necessarily criticizing or really looking at anything from the past with any kind of objective angle. He's very much the whole thing is framed from an extremely subjective point of view. Mm hmm which I think works really well for me. That's what connects mostly beyond Cleo. It's just the detail and the personality of the director coming through from behind the camera. Yeah. No, I, I'm again, the, 
the more technical aspects definitely blew me away this time uh, specifically just the insane amount of extras that are in this movie and just how every scene there is like it's almost like a completely different movie happening just in the background mm-hmm. like you know it's just cleo and the the grandmother are just shopping around and then there's this huge um uh revolution happening outside and then cleo goes to visit and you can see these martial artists training or whatever and there's a whole family drama happening in the house that she's working in and uh, i love that party scene beautiful party scene when she christmas goes up. oh yeah yeah wonderful party wonderful. yeah but it, it that's the thing is that still again it, it's a little better this time is that all i can see is that we see a character live through these events but the it's the events that i end up remembering more than the actual character and it's kind of the way i feel about the movie where corone definitely wanted i can definitely see the intention where he wanted to sort of um tap into that memory of this person this person that he you know definitely has a lot of respect for this housekeeper but i feel like he gets a little more sidetracked with the memory around that person um, and again, it's it's something that maybe it's just uh, a testament to the uh, person who plays Cleo's performance because she is so wonderful in this mm-hmm. movie. First time non-actor, and she just absolutely crushes it. And there's, there's a quite of, a few non-actors, yeah, yeah, especially with the kids. Um, there's just a lot of subtleties. It's kind of she's bearing the weight of the world on her, and you can only see through these little cracks in her face and her gestures. You can slowly start to see it affect her. And um, it's just something that I don't necessarily I can understand how people can get a full character out of Cleo and, under you know, understand her to a deeper level. It's just something that I don't necessarily uh, I, I don't share that experience. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not a big enough deal for me to really. Um, for it to really affect my opinion of the movie. Sure. I think the. The point isn't that you're supposed to understand Cleo as a yeah. character more. I think yeah. I think she's more there as, you know, a in the very opening scenes, you know, that she's hardworking and she's a very kind, tender person. And mm-hmm. that endears you to her from the start. And from that point on, it's she is more of a kind of audience avatar to experience the world happening around her. Yeah. yeah. I think very much the point is not a character study on her yeah you're probably but right. more as what is happening around her and the resilience of her character by the end of that mm-hmm. and you know one scene that in particular that i especially found mind-blowing this time not necessarily from a technical standpoint but it is the beach scene you know the one that's mm. featured on the cover oh of course uh, i didn't realize just the the th- not just the you know the visual strength of that scene, the thematic strength, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get into a little bit of a spoiler, obviously, right before this happened, she had lost a child during birth, or or um in the hospital. Uh, and this scene, I don't know what it was, but it's the one that just affected me the most because I saw, you can see, you know, her confession, her sort of mental breakdown that she has after she saves this kid. I saw this whole beach scene as like a redemptive moment for her. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, she obviously lost the child and in return she saves the child. So I, that sort of, I don't want to say balances it out, but she feels a little more mentally at ease. Um, but then you can see all this whole event just sort of like triggers this confession out of her. And I just I found that whole scene just. It was like watching a completely different movie at that point in a good way, because the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's that was cute that she saved the kid. That was nice. Mm-hmm. And the movie just sort of ends. I'm like, oh, it's a weird way to end it. But now that I see the sort of thematic power that that scene has, I'm like, OK, this is a perfect ending. Yeah. So I think you, you stated earlier that the family was part of the background. Yeah. And. I think the family is very much a part of the foreground story, just maybe one layer removed from the, the, the utmost foreground of Cleo being our protagonist and who we're following. Yeah. I think, you know, you have three layers to the story. You have Cleo, you have the family, and then you have the wider events happening around them. Mm -hmm. And 
the point of the film, I think, because I'm always someone who likes to look for arcs and changes in the movie, like what happens from the beginning to the end. And yeah. clearly you have this very subtle arc from Cleo that doesn't really even happen from the beginning to the end. It happens from the middle to the end where, you know, she loses her child and then reconciles that at the end. Uh-huh. I think the real kind of arc throughout the film and the story that it's telling isn't so much about Cleo herself, but Cleo and her relationship to the family and the film itself. Roma is a story of a family coming together and the housekeeper becoming a part of that family, not just in lip service or kind of in passing, but in actuality. And then yeah. you start and she's very much a um, a part, but a distant part of that family. And by the end, particularly with that last scene, she's become a emotional and real part of the family in the mother's eyes. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, the conflict of this film for the main character and the main characters in the family come from the absent men in their life, right? The mother, mm-hmm. the father leaves, and that causes a, a disturbance in the house. For Cleo, her boyfriend leaves, and that causes a disturbance for um, her personal life yeah. and her child. I didn't and realize them coming together as women and as a strong unit of a household by the end yeah i didn't and, realize uh i'll oh, go ahead <laughs> no no i'm done i was just gonna say i didn't realize this time around just how feminine the movie was it's a it's a very feminist movie yeah mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of ignore or uh, yeah not ignore not see yeah you know? i don't know how i didn't see that before but no nah, not nah, i i agree i agree well hey and, kudos for you for not seeing uh gender <laughs> uh and maybe it's just because i never i don't know it, I I think one of the issues I have is at the end. Um, it's going to sound weird as I'm saying it, but I feel like they did it. She obviously Cleo becomes part of the family, but she doesn't become part of the family um, until she saves you know the kids from drowning. At that point, I'm like, okay, you're not, you don't see her as a uh, as an equal because of who she is. You see her as an equal because of what she does. But as I'm saying that, I'm like that what you do is what you are. So she came the Cleo. There are moments in the film where they kind of step towards each other Mm -hmm. in in the sense of becoming more of a a unit. And I think after Cleo loses her child and the mother decides to go on this vacation, it's almost feels as much for her as also doing something for Cleo because she specifically brings her along. Yeah. And I think it's not, it's a very subtle step towards each other as kind of a friendship between employer and employee. And they Um, definitely have a lot more to bond over considering, like you said, the absent men and how they both sort of um, ungraciously leave the the women's lives. So I guess this is more, the more I talk about it as an issue, it becomes a lot smaller in retrospect. Okay. But no, it's definitely a movie that I, I... definitely enjoyed a lot more a second time and i had a feeling i would but i didn't you know not to this extent i'm just curious because i saw you also watch the special features did you get gain any special insight from those uh features on the blu-ray i would say the the road to roma mini documentary uh-huh. is absolutely one of by far the best from a from a as a filmmaker myself uh-huh one of the best special features I've ever seen. Well, and it's, it's literally just Alfonso Cuaron sitting in a chair talking to you and then intercutting clips from the movie. And he's just explaining his process and how he recreated everything. And it's oh. super interesting and I really recommend, highly recommend it. Does he, does he uh, conduct this interview in Spanish or English? Spanish. That's what I figured. Does he speak English? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. He he's a very talented man because he's he's probably more of an English filmmaker than he is a uh, uh, Mexican filmmaker. Yeah, you're right. He's got at this what? point in career in his in his career. Uh, Birdman. Or that's that Inuritu. Okay, The Revenant. That's Coron. No, that's Inuritu too. Oh, okay. I'm racist. I forgot. 
Sorry. <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban, Gravity. Children of Men. Children of Men. Oh, uh, speaking of Gravity, did you find it funny that when they went to go to the movie theater, they were watching a movie about two people floating in space? That was great. It <laughs> just increases the amount of kind of self-reference. And yeah. I loved directorness. how... I loved how you know it, it was. It was very. I mean, it's not obviously. It's not subtle how they presented it, but it was just the go into a movie, hard cut to some fifties or sixties sci-fi movie about two people floating in space, and then it just completely goes to a different scene. I feel like any other any any other director would have had like a little scene of some you know kid coming out, little baby Alfonso going, "Oh, that was nice, but I could do it better." <laughs> thus starting uh, the alfonso Cuarón cinematic universe i'm sure obviously it goes without saying this movie has been out for a little while it's, it's on, on netflix, netflix still. yep it's amazing please go see it if you haven't seen it already now here's my question do you think it deserves to be on the bfi top 100 list oh my goodness <laughs> uh i i cannot say and i can tell you <laughs> later maybe look i wouldn't fight it maybe more than than some movies that are are on the bfi list that doesn't mean i'd put it on there if that makes sense yeah i'm just kidding okay okay cool our next week (laughs) okay next movie is a 2000 a movie from the year 2000 killing it by the taiwanese filmmaker edward yang it is the movie Yi Yi, also known as a one and a two. And this this is a a long movie. It is a movie about a family in Taiwan and their various struggles, personal relationships, through uh, and how they come to terms with the mundane uh, conflicts in their life. Chandler. I have seen Yi before. Yeah. I think you are aware of my general opinion on it, but what did you think of Yi? Well, it was funny that, you know, the way you were just introducing it, you introduced it as a long movie, and then I had to think to myself, oh, yeah, that was technically a long movie. It's a little under three hours, but it's the first time in a while where I didn't want it to end, I wanted to keep going. I love these people. I love this movie. It was a great oh movie. You're me. Ma- I was so worried, Chandler. I well, because I didn't I say anything. I just finished no. it yesterday. To be fair, I w- I wasn't. I didn't have any evidence to worry. Uh-huh. Right? Like you, literally nothing. Just silence from your end about this, which is exactly the way it should be. Yeah, because I know. I'm just left like I, sitting here. I learned watching my- it twice. Yeah. And I'm just like, what does Chandler think of it? I learned my lesson with Colonel Blimp where I was Snapchatting you during the movie talking about how amazing it was. Okay, but that... I don't know. Just Colonel Blimp. I, I don't know. That was fine. It's okay to do it every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. No, because, yeah, this is this is one that, you know, this is another... Like, like I said with last episode with Colonel Blimp, this is one of those movies that justified the podcast because not only is it a movie that... um we get to discuss but it's one that has been on my watch list forever that this finally forced me to sit down and watch it and uh yeah it was wonderful it was amazing i loved it it was beautiful it was okay so just just to go right into it it's a movie that i'm still i don't i'm not it's it's there's a lot of subtleties going on with just how these stories tie together I'm not entirely sure the the general theme that connects them all together, but I was just amazed that so many disconnected stories that don't really ever connect in any tangible way just felt so seamless going between them. It was just it was an an intimate epic. It was just a lot of two people sitting in rooms prof- professing to each other, having little little secret meetings live living secret lives in very amazingly shot sequences i i just have pages of notes but i just want to preface this by saying i have seen yee i think six times now 
and I've watched the, so I watched it twice in preparation for this podcast episode. Mm -hmm. And first time I just watched it. The second time I watched it with the audio commentary, which features the director, Edward Yang. Like the special features on Roma, I have to thoroughly recommend the Criterion edition, uh, which features the, the commentary. That commentary mm -hmm. is one of the best commentaries I've ever heard. It's Edward Yang is just a wonderful human being. He is fun to listen to and explain his ideas on the film. And it's with a, a critic. I can't remember which critic it was. And the critic kind of um, acts as a interviewer, but mm -hmm. also as someone to talk about it in a different perspective. Mm -hmm. The reason, so I'm going to get just right into why I put these two movies together. And I frame my thoughts on Yi Yi in that it is a, a family epic of sorts. It is, yeah. In the way that Roma, although it has a central avatar, audience avatar protagonist, you know, is very much about a family. Tells the story of a family unit oh, very subtly sometimes in the background sometimes in the foreground mm -hmm. but they are both films where story is not the, the central focus and what could be called the central focus is the relationship of family members whether actually related or not mm. um, and i think Yi is very much the epitome of this kind of minuscule subgenre that also includes shoplifters and still walking and movies like that. Mm -hmm. um, it is such a kind of relatable movie uh -huh. because there's something for everyone. It, it has the entire spectrum of life, a little child, a teenager, mid middle-aged adult elders, and kind of the whole spectrum of life from, birth and death and everything in between mm -hmm. and there's just so much and i don't know how it works but it does and it's wonderful yeah and an important thing to note is that not only does this story just encompass so many different age groups perspectives um but it got every actor in this movie is incredible they're all yeah. just every performance in this movie is so fantastic and you can just feel that they're you can feel that sort of familial connection between all the characters, even if they're not necessarily on the best of terms. Um, but I just found, I mean, so much of this movie is just conversations. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that in towards the, until towards the end, but I was just like, ugh. even, you know, it's, it's obviously not our native language, but I just, I, I felt something and it, it's, it's an issue that gets brought up a lot. I feel is that how can you really tell um, the, the quality of uh, an actor if they're not, you know, in, if you don't understand the language in which they're uh, acting in, but this, I think this is just one of those movies that proves it just because there's just so many different little nuances of the performances that I just, you can tell, you can read between the lines of their you can uh, feel their authenticity you really can and yeah. to an extent that it just felt so real all of it especially i think the the sub story or, or the little um, vignette that i found most interesting was the uh father on the business trip mm -hmm. that whole time he spent with his first love in was it tokyo where were they at it's, they they were in Tokyo, but then they took a trip to a seaside town. Yes. And uh, it, that I would watch an entire movie of just that. If I'm being completely honest, I found that part to just be incredible. And oh, my God, my actual favorite character in the movie is the Japanese businessman. OK, <laughs> well, y you and everyone else, because Mr. O o Ota is yeah. just a, a the most wholesome. He really uh, is businessman, <laughs> video game designer that. Yeah, it's funny he's because he's introduced and he has a pigeon on his shoulder. Oh, it just—he's oh. otherworldly. He, he just is. sort of enters and exits the movie without a trace. 
but he just has this huge impact on just the the themes and the tone of the movie and i loved his magic trick and i love the way he speaks english he's just ugh, he's such a wonderful character the first time i watched this film mm-hmm. i uh it, it was in a difficult time in my life mm-hmm. um and it in a good way sent me on a very heavy existential uh thought process uh like just set me off mm-hmm. on that and i remember i finished it and i was like i, I don't know what to do with my life now because i was just thinking about the movie and thinking about my own life and i just i do this very rarely but i just like left left the this is back when i was living in an apartment and left the apartment just walked around the complex for like an hour just <laughs> thinking about it and one of my favorite lines ever in movie history is when Mr. Ota says, um, every day in life is a first time. Every morning is new. We never live the same day twice. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we afraid to get up? Because the whole point of that conversation before is that the business, um, NJ, our main character, our kind of pseudo main character, the father. Yeah, yeah. His business is looking to recoup some losses a new business deal with mr ota maybe and but it's expensive and it's new and the idea is that they're very kind of timid about it they're not sure and mr ota uses kind of this philosophy of he philosophizes on life um as kind of a way to um, bring nj and convince him to to make this deal and it's in a genuine way in a way that you know, I hear that quote myself and I'm like, yeah, Ugh, I can hear it in day, his voice. Something new. Yeah, this movie is surprisingly heavy. Like it's not beating you over the head with how heavy it is. And I do think overall it's an optimistic movie, but it's a movie that does a lot of it makes you do a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's here's one question I have, because I, I wanted to discuss this this main metaphor that comes into play at the end with the child. What's his name? Yang Yang, uh, Yang Yang, yeah, yeah, Yang Yang, um, him taking pictures of the back of people's heads, which I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that first of all, that's 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 beautiful, not Adorable. only in a thematic way, but that kid is so cute. He's such a just great pinch his cheeks. He's he oh oh god, I'm just remembering him reading to the grandma at the end. Oh Aww. no, oh god, uh, I got emotional. Did you? Oh, I did. Yes, and then it just ends. <laughs> um but i feel like the whole taking a picture to the back of the head is kind of what this movie is doing just because i feel like again like i said how these stories don't necessarily connect in a tangible way they don't all come together but it's just it's an entire movie of us just going on these personal journeys with people seeing sides of them that they are exploring or we don't know exist you know we have the father Mm -hmm. who's rekindling his lost love and the teenage daughter who's having her own first love and i you know the 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 son who's trying to get to know his tormentor a little bit better it's just a movie that i feel like is all about seeing sides of people that we don't really see and i then that is when the whole back of the head metaphor is just like oh oh such a beautifully wrapped package this movie well, Ugh. I to further that, I don't know if you noticed the the visual uh, motif of shooting through windows and seeing yes, lots of reflections, reflections and the backs and uh, looking one way and seeing what's behind the camera as well. Yeah, uh, Ugh. which is just great shots, by the way, but also ties into that overarching metaphor of the film, and I think it's interesting that. One of the ways I like to compare Roma and Yi yeah. is that Roma feels very much like a incredibly subjective portrayal of a family and a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. And Yi feels like an incredibly objective snapshot of the life of a family mm-hmm. where they also both have very similar visual styles where the camera is often farther back. Doesn't not a lot of close-ups, but in particular with Lee Yi Yi, the camera is almost always often far away from a character. 
oh, and yeah. often it's just stuck in a part in the house clamped down and you just you the frame of the house is around the characters and whether they're in the frame or if they're not in the frame doesn't matter uh-huh. you're just letting letting it breathe and letting the objectivity of the moment and not letting the editing or the visuals comment on the experiences of these characters yeah it's a it's a very stripped down approach um uh it's just it's just one of the most beautiful movies i've seen that just really doesn't go above and beyond as it's not showy no it's it's incredibly reserved and it's so incredibly blocked in the set design oh i love the look of the the main family's house um, it, it feels lived in. It feels not, very lived in. But... One, one of the <laughs> one of the little details that I noticed towards the end, um, I think it was when um, the oh God, I want to say it's right after the daughter comes home from the police station, is that it's just a still image of the living room with the do- front door on the right side. Um, and you could just see the kitchen table in the back with the four chairs and I was just looking at the kitchen table and I just saw how ridiculously close the kitchen table was to the wall where you have like two chairs on one side of the table that are like the chairs are stuck between the wall and the actual table. So I thought to myself, OK, if somebody was going to sit down and eat there, they would have to like shimmy across an entire chair just to sit down there. And when they had to leave, they would have to like the other person would have to get up and move. And I don't know why that just felt like such a a small minuscule detail that I'm like, okay, this is obviously a family that's trying to maximize their living space, so they put their table a little uncomfortably close to the wall. And I don't know why that detail jumped out at me, but it just added to the overall homey vibe of the entire room and just how lived in and authentic it felt. I was I spent a lot of time just looking at the rooms. It very mm-hmm. made me very nostalgic for the early 2000s, despite the fact that I didn't live through any of, you know, I'm obviously not from Taiwan. Yeah, but it's very also, a, it's a snapshot of the early 2000s, late oh, yeah. 90s, because it was filmed in 1999. Yeah. So yeah. it's incredibly like just seeped in all of that and you feel it. To the point where they, <laughs> they were going to the movies and, they, and there's posters for the Phantom Menace. <laughs> That is my favorite. I love that so much whenever I see it. <laughs> that they didn't put that there. It was just playing no, at the theater. It's just playing. And with uh Taiwanese cinema, I learned this on the director's commentary, is unlike in American cinema where they're often shooting on sets. Yeah. Thai, the the way that it's just cheaper to film on location. So almost I think everything, every single thing is filmed on location. Mm-hmm. Some of the um the step the uh stepbrother not the stepbrother brother-in-law the brother-in-law that's yeah, the yeah. word i was looking for the brother-in-law's fatty. apartment no fatty's the other kid okay continue yeah. the brother's laws in part apartment yeah that's just an apartment yeah they just they, they didn't even do that much set design in that one um they just showed up and filmed which is wonderful yeah this simple is, this is what it blows my mind because i'm like this is so deep borderline spiritual and he just makes it look so effortless effortless the sets aren't super complicated. The blocking isn't super complicated. The shots aren't super complicated. But it all just comes together so beautifully. Ugh. Um, I, I, this is one of those movies I literally didn't look at the runtime. I didn't good. want to. And when it ended, you know, it just ends there. I'm like, it, that's it? Now it's yeah. giving me an excuse to pick up Brighter Summer Day, but... I'll wait until we actually watch that for the podcast. That's going to be a, that's that'll be a real journey for the both of us. I'm excited. Have you seen it? You've seen it. Right? I I started it and I I never finished it. Not for wow. Not not like a it's not a um, opening night scenario. It's more it was long just ne- and I think yeah. something came up. Did you watch just, this all in one sitting? Yes. Okay. Not I'd, the second time, but the first time. Yes. I had to watch this in two, so I was very clear to make it halfway. You know, halfway mm-hmm. mark, hour and a half. Well, the halfway mark is a uh, is the birth and the the baby shower. So yeah, begins begins with a uh, a wedding, yeah. middle baby shower, and at the end it's a funeral. Mm-hmm. Very very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite performances, very scenes. So some of the some of the scenes and shots in the film. Uh-huh. And by shots, I mean scenes, because some of the scenes are just one shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
some of them were one takes like the actor did it and the director was like great let's move on uh Mm -hmm. and ironically some of them are like the most critically like emotionally impactful scenes they did it on the first take just one take yeah wow when nj talks with the grandma for the first and only time that was a one take when i think sherry breaks down in the hotel room with nj about she thought she was gonna leave that was a one take for her and but the one that i found at least on this most recent viewing, uh, very personally impactful because it reminded me of my mom and my grandma is um, when the NJ's wife, I forgot her name, um, she breaks down in the beginning she, uh, she, of the film. Yeah. And I felt that that was the most kind oh, of real and kind of raw performance of the film. Yeah. That, didn't even it was very emotional but didn't veer towards melodrama in any way mm-hmm. um and i felt it was an inc- one of the most incredibly realistic portrayals of just someone breaking down because simply because she's looking at her life mm-hmm. and like what do i do every day just because she was talking trying to talk to her grandma in a coma or her mother in a coma yeah and just the actress and the way she's crying and everything and also nj who just is clueless and doesn't know how to react to this emotional outburst Mm -hmm. it just it felt like very rarely do i feel such emotional authenticity from a movie yeah and that was just a perfect encapsulation for me of just yes a little little drama it was just that moment in particular that i'm like I, I it 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 led me to believe that we we're going to see more of the mother in this movie because I found her conflict to be especially compelling and I'm a little sad we didn't get to see more of it but I like the way that she returns. Yeah. Um I, I literally have one issue with this movie and it's not even an issue. Okay. Uh when the teenage daughter is um asking for forgiveness of the grandma after she just got broken up with by fatty Mm -hmm. she's in there she's crying the sounds she makes are disgusting (laughs) she's like swallowing she's doing a lot of and i was just watching it with you know high volume just going oh stop please Ugh. i i had another moment like that uh which ironically was when nj was talking with the grandma yeah great performance it's still a great performance but i just tuned into the fact that nj was blinking very rapidly and constantly and i was just like stop i can't pay attention to anything else now yeah it's just a big pet peeve of mine when i can hear every sound your tongue is making but it's still great oh stop please now here's here's um one question i had um the last scene with the grandmother uh for a while, I thought that was literal. It was a dream, correct? It It is meant... It it leans heavily towards dream, but there are... It's ambiguous. Because the, the pedal that she has led me to believe she that... She still it has would, it. Yeah. So, but here, here was my... I'm just going to give you my reading of it. All right? Mm-hmm. I think it was a dream, but I think that the daughter saw it as a sort of spiritual visit from her grandmother. Just she saw it as a sign that her grandmother had forgiven her. Yeah, because it's I a felt wonderful tender moment. It is. It fun. really is. And uh, it, it was it. And the fact that the grandma doesn't speak at all leads me to believe that it might be a dream. But oh, God. And the fact that she just well, the grandma never speaks in the entire film. Oh, yeah, she doesn't, does she? Oh, I just realized that. Okay. Yeah, it was just, I, I do think it's a dream, but I do think that the significance of the dream was so the daughter felt forgiven. Yeah. Because she didn't feel yeah. especially broken up after the grandmother died, because I felt like she got her peace with her grandmother. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I can I can pinpoint for you the exact moment when I fell in love with Yi and I knew it was a good movie. Dude, uh-huh. you know, no, it, what is it, it was all the way back in the beginning. Uh, it was it's the most random moment. I don't know. What was it? Actually, it's not. It's it's the beginning titles. 
it's that music. It's the the music is great, and I thought I'd hear and more then, of it. Like, the the jilted lover um, of oh yeah, she's yelling, and then it cuts to the title, and then the music, and then you just the opening titles are with the grandma, and she's just kind of sitting in the back of a taxi and just looking peacefully at the screen. And I'm like, oh, I love this. Yeah, let me just ride with the grandma. That that was strange because I was very intimidated by this movie. You know, three hour Chinese movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard nothing about, and for some reason, I got the impression that it was going to be a lot more of a somber movie, a lot heavier. But I don't know. It was just the that beginning scene with the the wedding. I was just like, within the first two or three minutes, I just went, oh, "Okay, it's not going to be what I thought it was. It's going to be a little more lighthearted." And I I gotta say, I this was a thoroughly entertaining movie from beginning to end. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's very glad. I might even like it more than Colonel Blimp. I gotta wait. I do. I love Colonel Uh, Blimp. (laughs) Oh, they're both really great. So, Yee Yee is. So, I have my top 30 of all time list, right? Yee Yee is like 30 or 31. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, one of a couple that kind of bounce in and out. You know, I did take a look at your list the other day. I think you saw it because I commented on it. Yeah. Uh, I responded to your comment. Did you really? Oh, I didn't see it. Okay. Well, I was happy to see that Spirited Away felt like 20 places. (laughs) I had a very snarky reaction to that. (laughs) Oh, now I got to look it up. Uh, But um, yeah, does this deserve to be on the BFI list? Yes. Now, here's here's my only reservation. Mm -hmm. I do believe that um, I, I I subscribe to the belief that it should be one movie per director. So for now, I'm going to say, yes, it belongs on here, but I do reserve the right to take it off if I find Brighter Summer Day to be even better. I I do not subscribe to this. I don't I don't like these arbitrary cutoffs. Um, but hey, you know, you like Yee, so that's my victory. I love I love Yee. Good, 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 good. All right. Uh, so as far as next week goes, um, so so we have opening night. So I did think it was funny that th- this list has treated you to Yee Yee before it subjected you to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Opening night. Yeah. Oh, that uh, is a snarky comment. <laughs> and then I moved it up a few places. <laughs> you did it out of spite? Oh, you did. You moved it up like Just three. <laughs> yeah. Uh punch drunk gloves on there interesting uh yeah so opening night and now i'm struggling here because part of me wants to um give you a movie you'll enjoy because i don't want to subject you to two horrible movies um so let me just ask would you prefer to watch something new or to rewatch something i i really I... have no um preference uh-huh i would say if like you could pick a movie to rewatch. I don't think I've, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anything. Just, you can give me options too. Oh God. Okay. Well, I have two options. Okay. Um, they're both wildly different. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Uh, one of them is Firewalk with me. Twin Peaks. Yep. Interesting. Okay. And the next one, uh, the other one is Nashville. I'll watch Nashville. Okay. You did? I don't think it's on this list. Okay, there you go. Because Nashville, I wanted one because I think it's, it is, and I don't say this lightly, a movie unlike anything else. And it's a movie that I feel like in a very, painting with broad strokes here, it is the American version of Yee Yee. Kind of. It is, it's an American version of Yee Yee, replace a family with a town. And that is Nashville. Um, okay. And it's a movie that I feel like, as far as direction go, um, it's a very influential movie. Robert Altman has a huge um, mark on oh, yeah. directors as a whole. Uh, and I'm just eager. I want to watch it again because I find it just bizarre and interesting. And I'd love to hear what your opinion is on it. So there it is. Okay. Set in stone. Nashville and uh, opening night. This is either going to be the, the most mediocre or worst week of your life. <laughs> well i will get right on that and i'll so. actually have 
I'll go ahead and go the extra mile and watch the supplements of my Nashville Criterion so I can come loaded with um, stories and tidbits for you. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, here, one last tidbit about Yee Yee. Mm-hmm. The, the cello and the piano performance that they uh, Ting Ting and uh, Fatty go to. Uh-huh. The, the celloist and the pianoist, that's Edward Yang and his wife. Really? Yep. Wow. Edward Yang yep. is dead, is he not? He is. He Tragic. very sadly passed away. How did he so. die? I don't know. But he is a wonderful filmmaker and I think great human being. So And the uh the commentary is that in English as well? Yeah. I'm assuming because yeah. his name is a Edward. very good English speaker. Okay. Well the, got it. See that's the thing is <laughs> I I finished this movie yesterday and um like three or four hours before I finished this movie, I used my discount coupon for criterion to get the grand budapest hotel and now mm-hmm. i really want to get the yee criterion because i want to watch it again with commentary eventually commentary might be on criterion channel so okay check it out. Well, I'll, I'll check it out then. all right well i gotta go so this was great glad you liked it and all uh, right we'll uh we'll see everyone next week for nashville and opening night of course see ya see ya